You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Hello Pilgrims, it's an honour to have your company once again as we venture forth into the next stop of our myth pilgriming. Hope you're doing well today, wherever you're listening from. Today we'll be exploring one of the classic of classics in terms of fairy tales, Cinderella, which along with titles like Sleeping Beauty, Snow White and Beauty and the Beast would certainly be archetypal in terms of a fairy tale. And for good reason too, for this tale is quite literally timeless. And I mean this on a number of counts. Firstly, it's been told and retold for generations, not just with Walt Disney in 1950, The Brothers Grimm in 1812, or Charles Perrault's popularising version in 1697. But variations of this story has spanned time and culture, all the way back to the tale of Yixian in China, and even Rhodopus in ancient Greece. Pretty cool, right? And what's amazing is that all these stories are derivatives of the same storyline. Something like a young woman loses one or both parents and ends up in the care of neglectful relatives. She then attends a big celebration through the help of some magical guardians. Uh, At the celebration, the prince or some high-ranking dude finds her attractive but doesn't know who she is. Uh, The woman then loses a shoe and the search for her foot, I suppose, (laughs) begins. And the prince figure then finds out who the shoe belongs to and then marries her. Something like that storyline. And finally, it is the lost shoe theme that is particularly distinct. More on that later. The question is, why is this simple storyline so popular and so timeless? What instinct is it tapping into that makes it so satisfying? Well, you may be surprised to be told that Cinderella follows the biblical story of salvation. Cinderella, particularly in the form we know it in the West, emerged out of a very Christian worldview and is ultimately a story about glory, fall and redemption. And hence it is a story for each of us, a fairy tale we rightfully wish would come true. And if our faith is legit, we believe it actually did. Mm. Over and above the modern, politically correct skewing of Cinderella and other fairy tales, which tries to flatten and squish its ideologies into the fairy tale framework, Cinderella is largely untouchable. Evidence of this lies in the immense popularity of even the 2015 Disney live-action movie starring Lily James, which dared to be faithful to the classical storyline without injecting anything PC or woke into it. By the way, if you want Lawrence's recommended version of Cinderella to watch, this 2015 Disney movie is the one. Okay, so not everyone remembers all the details of Cinderella, so it will be good to recap the story before we dig into its spiritual aspects. Because the Disney retellings stayed faithful to Charles Perrault's 1697 version, I will summarise his telling of the story here. A wealthy widower has a young daughter, a girl of unparalleled kindness and virtue. After his wife's untimely death, he remarries a proud and nasty woman as his second wife, who has two daughters, equally vain and selfish. 
Cinderella is forced into pretty much slavery by her stepmother, where she is made to work day and night doing undignifying chores. At the end of the day, she curls up near the fireplace in the basement in an effort to stay warm. She often wakes up covered in cinders and ashes, giving rise to her mocking nickname Cinderella by her stepsisters. She bears the abuse patiently and retains a heart of goodness and virtue. She does, however, make friends with mice and birds and other small animals who help her out in her day-to-day tasks. One day, the prince of the kingdom invites all the maidens in the land to a royal ball. It was a custom of the land that the prince would choose his bride from this ball. Naturally, the two stepsisters gleefully plan their wardrobes and taunt Cinderella by telling her that lowly maids aren't invited. As the two stepsisters and their mother depart, Cinderella cries in despair. It was then that her fairy godmother magically appears and transforms Cinderella from ash-covered servant to a lovely princess as a reward for her unparalleled goodness. The fairy godmother turns a pumpkin into a golden carriage, mice into horses, a rat into a coachman, and lizards into footmen. She then turns Cinderella's rags into a beautiful gown, complete with a delicate pair of glass slippers, slippers that fit her feet. Perfectly, the fairy godmother tells her to enjoy the ball, but warns her that she must return before the stroke of midnight, when the spell will be broken. At the ball, the entire court is entranced by Cinderella, especially the prince, but her two stepsisters don't even recognize her. At this first ball, Cinderella remembers to leave before midnight. Back home, she graciously thanks the fairy godmother while she overhears her two stepsisters talking of nothing but the mysterious girl at the ball. Another ball is held the next evening, and Cinderella again attends with her godmother's help. The prince has become even more infatuated with the mysterious woman, and Cinderella, in return, becomes so enchanted by him she loses track of time and leaves only at the final stroke of midnight, losing one of her glass slippers on the steps of the palace. The prince chases her, but outside the palace, the guards see only a simple servant girl leave. The prince pockets the slipper and vows to find and marry the girl to whom it belongs. He then spares no effort to try the slipper on every single woman in the kingdom. When he finally arrives at Cinderella's house, the two stepsisters try in vain to win him over. But when he notices Cinderella, he finds the slipper fits her perfectly. And Cinderella produces the other glass slipper for good measure. The prince betrothes, and Cinderella accepts. Her evil stepmother and stepsisters plead for forgiveness, and Cinderella does indeed forgive them. Cinderella says that she wishes her stepfamily every blessing, and that they would cherish her always. She then marries the prince, and in her first gesture of goodwill, marries her two stepsisters off to two wealthy noblemen of the court. And they all live happily ever after. So that's the story of Perrault's retelling of Cinderella, familiar and nostalgic, eh? And so rich in spiritual significance. If I were to quickly now retell Cinderella through the Christian framework, it might go something like this: Cinderella symbolizes fallen humanity, with our true dignity covered over by the ashes of sin. We are held captive by the vanity and vices of the world, represented by the wicked stepfamily, who incidentally have a cat named Lucifer. <laughs> 
The Prince stands in the place of Christ, who takes the initiative to reach out to us and to love us back into our original dignity. If we choose to respond to the Prince's invitation, supernatural grace is given to us, symbolised by the Fairy Godmother, to help us on our way. Like Cinderella and the Prince at the ball, there is a fleeting connection with God in our limited time here on Earth. But we sooner flee his presence, ashamed that our true unworthy selves might be rejected by him. Jesus as the prince then proves that we needn't feel unworthy by lavishly clothing the part of us we are most ashamed of, symbolised by the foot and the glass slipper. Finally, Christ betrothes us and marries us, taking us into his kingdom. Blessings are poured out on friend and foe alike, and for all eternity, everyone lives happily ever after. Okay, so you can hopefully see how the general story arc of Cinderella is faithfully Christian. Not to mention the explicit detail of a godmother in it, right, as well. But anyway, let's now dive into each section and explore it in more detail. Cinderella embodies within it the royalty and exile theme that is so popular in fairy tales. I touched on this theme in episode 8 on The Lion King, which is another classic story about a king in exile. But again, think of how popular this theme is in fairy tales. It's in Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Little Mermaid. It's strewn right across Narnia and King Arthur, Anastasia and Lord of the Rings with the last installation of Tolkien's classic called The Return of the King. All of these cultural classics star a royal figure in some form of exile, who has to somehow find their way back into their own kingdom or to restore their original dignity. Why is this theme so popular? Because royalty in exile is who we are. We are princes and princesses in exile from paradise, sons and daughters of the Most High. And get this, our yearning for this homecoming isn't just a Christian yearning. When I completed my Master's of Theology thesis on myths, fairy tales, and the new evangelization, I found an interesting poll from IMDb, International Movie Database. Out of the 30-odd Disney feature animations released during its Renaissance era, so between 1998 and 2013, the top six most favorite movies all featured a royal character in exile. From one to six, these were Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Frozen, Aladdin, Tangled, and Little Mermaid. And these titles were voted most popular out of 6,111 secular votes. As it turns out, perhaps the royalty in exile theme is tapping into the secular imagination and yearning for a reality the Bible holds to actually be true. Anyway, I will leave a link to my thesis if you want to read more into the significance of this. Okay, back to Cinderella. While she isn't born a literal princess, the story is very much about her becoming one, to have her inner beauty reflected by her outer beauty. Cinderella is a good and virtuous woman, only that she is covered over by ashes. This is an image of what sin does to us. While it can hide our dignity and make us unfit for the kingdom, it can never entirely rob us of our imago Dei, our image of God within. Nor can it take away how attractive and desirable we always are before Jesus, even if all the voices of our fallen world tries to banish us from entering his presence. The next significant detail in the story is the invitation from the prince to the royal ball. 
If the prince stands as Christ in our allegory, this invitation symbolizes God's invitation to all of humanity to come home to his love. Like grace, it is the prince who is seeking his beloved first and not the other way round. We can only respond to grace. We are never the ones to initiate it. What's also significant in Cinderella is that this invitation is extended to both sinners and saints alike, like in Jesus' parable of the wedding banquet. No one is excluded, even though the stepsisters do their best to make Cinderella feel she is unworthy to attend. In that movie version, Cinderella actually patiently makes her own dress, only to have it ridiculed and torn up by her nasty stepfamily on the eve of the ball. Naturally, Cinderella is distraught, but she makes no move to sabotage her stepfamily from attending. Heartbroken, she cries out for help instead. Now what happens next is important. It is at this point in the story that supernatural aid arrives. In the various Cinderella retellings, this is the moment when all Cinderella's animal friends and doves and mice remake her torn dress. But in the Perrault retelling, an old beggar woman suddenly appears by Cinderella's doorstep. The woman asks for a cup of milk, and despite her own sorrows, Cinderella still finds it within herself to offer a glass of milk to the woman. When the old woman asks her why she's crying, Cinderella says, Oh, it's nothing. To which the old woman says, Nothing? What's a glass of milk? Nothing. But when it's an act of kindness... It is at this point that the old woman reveals that she is her fairy godmother in disguise, having first tested Cinderella's heart. She then magically restores Cinderella's gown, gives it an upgrade even, and gives her a horse and pumpkin carriage too, along with horsemen and glass slippers, etc, etc. Okay, I love this scene for a number of reasons. Firstly, it references Jesus' own words that, Inasmuch as you give to the least of these, you give unto me. You could say that Cinderella's gesture to the poor old woman unlocks for herself the grace of heavenly favour. In a likewise manner, the love we show for others, particularly the outcast, draws the love of God into our lives. For to love another person is to love God. Further, this scene shows that it is often in our moment of weakness and brokenness and humility that supernatural aid comes when we know we are no longer able to do it alone. So next time we are tempted to despair and abandon any hope of progressing in the spiritual life, get ready and maybe you'll see a poor beggar woman in your midst too. So the next chapter in the story is the ball itself, or a series of balls depending on the version of the story. And what I want to highlight here is that no one is able to recognise Cinderella. But through the faith of her fairy godmother, Cinderella's transformation does not change her into someone she's not, but rather into the person she really was inside. Fairy godmother peers deep into Cinderella's good heart and saw a goodness there that no one else could see in the world. Likewise, we too are living in the midst of saints without knowing it, and this veiled glory will only be fully revealed one day in heaven. As C.S. Lewis reminds us, there are no ordinary mere mortals. In heaven, when we see our neighbours and family and friends as they really are, 
we will be tempted to fall on our knees in worship and adoration. But until then, here on earth, perhaps it is only our Prince, Jesus, who can fully see this dignity in us and anticipate this glorious day to come. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, do consider sharing it with your friends so that we can together encounter God veiled in our favourite tales. I'm always open to your feedback and ideas too, so always feel free to contact me on The Myth Pilgrim Facebook page or through the website at themythpilgrim.com. And so, as the story goes, when Cinderella realises it's near the stroke of midnight, she must make a quick escapade, and in doing so, leaves a slipper behind on the step. Picking up the slipper of the fleeing girl, the prince spares no effort in trying to find the girl, and literally searches all over the kingdom, until of course he finds the ash-covered maiden. As mentioned earlier, this lost slipper motif is consistently present in like every retelling of Cinderella, and indeed gives the story its unique feature. But what might its spiritual significance be? Consider that for most of civilizational history, and definitely so in Jesus' time, a person's feet was considered the most undignified and unclean part of the body. Think of the scandal of when Jesus tried to wash the feet of his disciples. Hence, for the story's prince to go to every length to find and clothe a lowly nobody has great echoes of this Christ action. If the slipper can be understood to be the missing link between the prince and his beloved, then it can be likened to our lowliness being the missing link between Jesus and ourselves. If Cinderella stands in the place of all humanity, Christ didn't come to the proud and wealthy of the world, but stooped down to the lowly and rejected, the dirty feet of society, if you like. The Christ child was, after all, born in a dirty manger in Bethlehem, something we probably romanticise too much today. If I could paint an equivalent setting today, it would be like the crown prince being born at night in the slums of a public toilet, with his first guests as dirty street sweepers. But that's what God did, and like the prince's pursuit, he is clearly making a statement. But when the Prince of Peace comes knocking on your cottage door with your glass slipper, how will you react? Will you put on a show or present him with that which you consider most lowly, your area of sin, of shame and of weakness? So of course, as you know, the slipper then fits Cinderella's foot perfectly and they get betrothed and married and live happily ever after. Amen. In the spiritual life, this marriage is captured in the final union between Christ and his beloved, God and humanity, as echoed in the book of Revelation. There, St. John sees a vision of the heavenly Jerusalem coming to Jesus adorned as a bride and a grand wedding feast afterwards. So the married happily ever after symbolism is quite self-explanatory. But what makes Cinderella's uh, ending so cherry-on-top Christian is the spotlighting of Cinderella's mercy towards her stepfamily. Rather than seeking revenge for the way they treated her, Cinderella organises her two stepsisters to be married off to good noblemen, almost as her first act as queen. And in the movie, after the prince arrives at the door, Cinderella actually turns to her stepmother and simply says, I forgive you before heading off into her new life. 
I remember this line was met by some gasps and scattered applause in the cinema as no one saw it coming, which probably goes to show how good a job Kate Blanchett did to portray a really loathsome stepmother. But the fact that this most iconic of fairy tales retains its merciful ending echoes the Christian story, precisely because mercy is also how our story ends. Mercy is what love looks like when it gazes upon a sinner. God's mercy is not different from his love, but the perfection of his love. It is also by extending mercy towards others that we are able to receive God's mercy. The big question in Cinderella's ending, though, is this. Was it the promise of happily ever after that inspires Cinderella to show mercy to her stepfamily? Or was it in showing mercy to her stepfamily that she was able to live happily ever after? Your practical pilgrim exercise is a little bit odd, a little bit enchanting and very, very sanctifying. It is this. Be on active alert for the old beggar woman in your life. She will appear in a moment you don't expect, in a place you just won't predict. Perhaps in the most inconvenient of times when you're already feeling terrible. How will you respond? Will you yeah, brush her away like the prince in the prologue of Beauty and the Beast? Or, like Cinderella, offer her a cup of milk? Be alert and attentive. Let the words of St. Paul in Hebrews 13 inspire you when he says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Okay, dear pilgrims, until next time, journey forth, take care and God bless.